So church, I hope you know, I hope you understand that every follower of Jesus, every Christian, will have times when we struggle with unbelief, when we struggle with doubt. We will all have times like that. Maybe it's that you struggle as to, you know, is God really in control here in this situation I'm facing? This trial I'm going through, is God really going to work this out for good? Is that really what's going to happen? We can start to wonder, you know, why do I believe in Christianity anyway? Can I really be sure that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by trusting him, his death on the cross, I can be completely forgiven and reconciled to God? There's lots of things that we as followers of Jesus can find ourselves doubting, battling in regards to unbelief. And I would guess that some of you are experiencing that right now, or you have this past few days. Every follower of Jesus deals with that. And in today's passage, we're going to see, this is such an encouraging passage, that when we struggle to believe, when we battle doubt, God is always right there to help us and give us whatever we need. Remember, the foundation of our Christian life is that Jesus Christ has paid for the sins of all who are trusting him. And so because we're trusting him, we can trust that even when we're, when we're struggling with unbelief, even when we're facing doubt, we can ask God to help us, and he's moving towards us with mercy and grace and forgiveness to give us whatever help we need to be strengthened and reestablished in our faith. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 4. Just brief recap of what we've covered. In chapter 1, we see that God's people are suffering horribly as slaves in Egypt. But in chapter 2 and 3, we see God raising up Moses. And then as Pastor Ben preached last week, God reveals himself to Moses through the burning bush. And God promises Moses that he's going to work through Moses' words and Moses' miraculous signs that God's going to do to persuade Pharaoh to let Israel go, to free them so they can head to the promised land. But now in chapter 4, we're going to see three situations in which God's people, including Moses, battle with doubt, battle with unbelief. And every time, every one of these times, God comes and he helps them. So encouraging. So let's look at this first situation of unbelief. We're going to see that the people of Israel might not believe Moses. Here's the setting. Moses is supposed to go back to them. He's in Midian now. He's supposed to go back to them and tell them that God has appeared to him. That's the word that Moses is going to bring them. So look at what Moses, though, says in verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is concerned that God's people won't believe him. He's concerned that they're going to doubt that God really, really did appear to him. And what does God do? In great mercy, this is amazing, God gives Moses three miraculous signs. Signs that will give God's people evidence, evidence that God really did appear to Moses. The first sign is in verses 2 through 5. Let's read those verses. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, Moses, 
What is that in your hands? He said, a staff, his shepherd's staff. And he, God said, throw it on the ground. So he, Moses, threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And then here's why Moses was to do this, that they, God's people, may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So imagine seeing a staff turn into a serpent and then become a staff again. That would help Israel believed this supernatural miracle would give God's people evidence. God really has appeared to Moses. Amazing sign that would help the people of Israel believe. See how gracious God is? But it doesn't stop there. There's a second sign. God has more. Verses 6 through 8. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow, covered with leprosy. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Again, imagine seeing this perfectly healthy hand into the cloak, comes out completely leprous, back into the cloak, comes out completely restored. That would strengthen your faith, wouldn't it? Be powerful, additional evidence. But God doesn't stop there. He gives Moses a third sign. Verse 9. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Okay, so if Moses goes to Israel and they don't believe that God has actually appeared to him, they're struggling with doubt, struggling with unbelief, God has given Moses three amazing signs to perform. The rod becoming the serpent, serpent back into the rod, the hand healthy, leprous, healthy again, and Nile water turning into blood on the ground. And all of this is to give Israel evidence, to give them signs, evidence, so that she believes. Now, I find this very encouraging, that this is how God responds to Israel's unbelief. And this is how he responds to our belief. So when we find ourselves struggling with doubt, struggling with unbelief, God is not walking away from us at those times. God is not abandoning us at those times. God cares for us at those times. Remember, all of our sins have been punished in Jesus. We're trusting him. So God's right there, full of mercy, ready to help us. And just like he does for Moses toward the people of Israel, so he will do for us, he has given us signs, evidences in his word that he wants us to look at and pray over and ponder. So, for example, times when I'm struggling with unbelief, or doubt, which I deal with, just like we all do, 
I love to think about, like, for example, the amazing complex design of my body and of your bodies. I mean, it's amazing. Like, we're, we've, we all ate something for breakfast this morning, I hope. And right now, you, your body is digesting that, turning that into, into helpful nutrients. And it's like, you don't need to worry about, did I, did I get that enzyme in there right at the right time? Or it, it, your body just does this automatically. I mean, those kinds of, this complexity doesn't just happen by random mutations over millions of years. You are phenomenally complexly designed, showing that there's a designer. Your body is a sign. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the scriptures say. I like to think about Old Testament prophecies made hundreds of years before Jesus, like the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And where was the Messiah born? Hundreds of years later, he was born in Bethlehem. Wow, powerful, supernatural, miraculous signs. And then, of course, Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb, that he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time, Paul tells us. And then do you remember the story about Doubting Thomas? Remember Doubting Thomas? After the crucifixion, he was was not believing that Jesus rose from the dead. He was struggling to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came to Thomas. Remember the story? Thomas, look at these hands. These nail-pierced but now healed hands. Touch these wounds, Thomas. Look at my side, Thomas. Touch me, Thomas. It's me. I'm real. I'm here. Signs, evidences. Jesus brought this to Thomas, and Thomas fell down at Jesus' feet and said, my Lord and my God. Don't you love that? That's what Jesus does. Your Jesus will do this for you when you're struggling with doubt and unbelief. Let me back this up with John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, in case you're not so sure about this yet. Look at what John writes at the end of his gospel. This is amazing, so encouraging. Now, Jesus did many other signs, here's these signs, in the presence of the disciples, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So lots of other miracles that John did not write in his gospel. But these are written, the ones I wrote, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we should open up these signs and What are the signs in John's gospel? I just listed a couple of them. Jesus turned water into over 600 liters of the best wine. Remember in chapter 2, the the wedding in, in Canaan. Jesus healing a man who'd been bedridden for 38 years. Healed. Jesus feeding 5,000, walking on water, healing a man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead, and of course, finally, Jesus rising from the dead. John says, I'm writing these signs Why? So that you will believe. You'll be persuaded by this evidence. So what should we do, church? What do you do at those times when you're struggling with doubt or unbelief? Do you just kind of pull back from the body, pull back from your brothers and sisters? Well, I'm just kind of in a bad place right now. I'm just going to kind of hunker down here. That's not what we should do. God is right there in Christ, ready to give you everything you need to strengthen your faith, and one of the ways he will do that is through the signs that he's written in the scriptures, the evidence he's given us in his word. And as we open up the scriptures and see those evidences, see those signs, he will, by his Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith. 
So that's the first situation of unbelief in Exodus chapter 4. The people of Israel not believing that God appeared to Moses. Now the second situation of unbelief this involves, involves Moses. Moses does not believe God can handle his speech problem. Moses has got a speech problem. Doesn't think God can handle it. Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses had some kind of speech problem that Moses thought would keep him from effectively communicating to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would let the people of Israel go. And what does God say to Moses about that? Verse 11. It's a shocking verse. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It's the Lord who makes people mute or deaf or seeing or blind or with some kind of a speech difficulty, Moses. Now, let's take a pause here. I would guess that this verse is quite shocking to some of you because I, I would guess that some of you in your, in your background, um, you've been taught that God never brings sickness. You've been taught that, that sickness just comes from Satan. Or you've been taught that sickness is just the result of being in a fallen world, right? There's, there's sickness here because the world has fallen, and so if we get sick, God had nothing to do with it. But let's read verse 11 again. I want you to see what, what is being said here. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, if this is a brand new thought for you, if you're like saying, whoa, let me encourage you to just devote some time to studying this topic. Look through the scriptures. See if you don't see this taught again and again and again. The Bible does teach that Satan has something to do with sickness, yes, but it is always completely under God's control. Completely. And we do live in a fallen world. And death and sickness are the enemy, right? But sickness is still completely under God's control. A couple of examples, just that you can study on your own in these next days or weeks. Remember Job, in the book of Job, chapter 2, he comes down with these horrible boils, the skin affliction. Remember that? which is clearly brought to him by Satan. But what Job says is that he's received these boils from God. Job chapter 2. Think about John chapter 9, where Jesus is asked, why was this man born blind? Why, Jesus? His sin, his parents' sin, why? And Jesus' answer is, it's because this man's blindness is going to glorify God. It's going to glorify God, which shows that this blindness was not just because of Satan or because he lived in a fallen world. It was part of God's 
purpose. There was meaning for it. And we see the same thing in Paul. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh, which he says had been given to him to keep him from becoming proud. Um, but then again, that also shows, that means it's part of God's plan. God's purpose to keep Paul from becoming proud. Okay, so, so God is completely sovereign over sickness. That's what we see here. When, when we get sick, when you get sick, when I get sick, even though we live in a fallen world that has something to do with it, and even though Satan may have something to do with it, it's always ultimately part of God's loving, wise purpose and plan. And this is, this is good news, church. I find this such good news because it means sickness isn't random. It's never purposeless. That suffering is never without purpose. It's always under God's control. It's, it's purposefully, wisely, lovingly allowed by God. God's either going to miraculously or through doctors heal it, for which we'll praise the Lord. We, we love to pray for the sick here at Grace Church. So God's either going to heal it or he's going to bless you powerfully through it. But you can be confident this is part of God's plan. I'm taking some time on this just because I, I know this might be a, a new thought for some of you or maybe a thought that you need to get strengthened in. So a few more minutes on this. Who've, who's heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? This is a U.S. illustration, but anyway, Johnny Erickson Tata, as a teenage girl, dove into a lake that was too shallow, broke her neck, and for the next 50-plus years, she was, has been paralyzed, uh, quadriplegic from the neck down, wheelchair, all that it goes along with all that difficulty. But here's what she says. This is amazing. She writes this, I, I hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. She says she knows that's not theologically correct, but, but she, she hopes she can bring this wheelchair to heaven and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he'll know I mean it, because he knows me. And then I'll say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? <laughs> I love this. You said that in the world we'd have trouble. That thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And that never would have happened without the wheelchair. And then she concludes, it is for Jesus. It is Jesus for whom we have prevailed through all of this suffering. And oh, for the sweetness, here's why, the sweetness of melding one heart into his in that intimacy that is so precious. And that would not have happened without the wheelchair. So God has wisely and lovingly and compassionately, and often with tears, I think, but strongly and sovereignly and purposefully allowed sickness. Okay, now, back to Moses, okay? By the way, if you have questions about that, email the elders. We'd love to interact with you about that some more. 
But back to Moses. Moses does not believe God can handle his speech problem. He thinks his speech problem is going to somehow keep him from really effectively communicating to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will let the people go. So Moses has unbelief here, and God helps him. God helps him. First, he helps him in verse 11 by saying, I'm sovereign over your speech impediment. Part of my plan, Moses. I've planned this all along. And then, verse 12, look at what God says to him. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So God gives Moses this powerful promise. Moses, I, sovereign, almighty creator God, I'm going to be with that mouth. I'll be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. So this shows us a second way that God helps us when we struggle to believe. The first way was by showing us signs, evidences, which help us to be strong in our faith. But here's the second way, and that is by reminding us of his sovereignty and of his promises. So what I would encourage you to do, when you find yourself doubtful and full of unbelief, open up God's word and remind yourself of God's sovereign authority, infinite power over everything, and remind yourself of God's promises. For example, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, for God's sovereignty. There's the first part of it, where God says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Whoa! Don't you love that? Powerful statement of who God is. And a promise, Isaiah 41.10, fear not, God says, and here's a list of promises, for I am with you. I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely, surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sovereignty, promises, when you do that, God will strengthen your faith. That's the second situation of unbelief and the second way that God strengthens faith. Now, there's a third way God strengthens faith. I'm sorry, there's a third situation of unbelief, first of all. Remember the first, the people might not believe Moses, so God gives Moses signs to work. Second, Moses doesn't believe God can overcome his speech problem. God reminds him of his sovereignty and his promises. And now third, God does not believe, excuse me, Moses does not believe that God will deliver Israel through him. Verse 13. Now think about, just before we read the verse 13, think about what, what Moses has seen here. God has shown him the signs of the staff and the serpent and the leprosy in the hand and the water being turned into blood. And God has reminded Moses of God's sovereignty and God's promise to be with him. And now look at what Moses says in verse 13. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Could you just send someone else, Lord? So Moses is still doubting. The unbelief is continuing. There's kind of a persistent unbelief that's going on here. And look at how God responds to Moses' unbelief in verse 14, first part of verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Anger kindled. Now think about this. God's been patient with Moses, has, has answered many of his, all of his questions, and has given him help to, to strengthen his faith. Okay, but persistent unbelief, 
makes God angry. Not angry in the sense of punishing us. Remember, Jesus Christ has paid for the sins of everyone who's trusting him. All the punishment for your doubt and unbelief because you're trusting Jesus, all that punishment has already been poured out upon Jesus. He was punished in your place for it. So no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You look ahead, forever there will never be any punishment against you. And yet God is angry in the sense of being displeased with Moses. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because unbelief is wrong. Moses, you, me, we have every reason to trust God. We never have a reason to doubt him. And yet we do, I do, you do. And when we're persistent in unbelief, God, God is displeased, deeply displeased. He still loves you, but he feels displeasure. And that's possible to have both. Parents, right? Have you ever had a time where you, you were displeased at what your child did, but oh, you loved them, right? Those go together, and they go together in, in our Father's heart as well. So God is angry displeased, and he still helps Moses. He helps him in his unbelief by bringing Aaron to him. I love this. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levites? I know that he can speak well, Moses. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. That is, you'll give him the words to say, just like I give you words to say, you'll give Aaron the words to say, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So God will give Moses what words to say, and Moses will give those words to Aaron, and Aaron will do the talking, and this strengthens Moses' faith so that he can proceed and obey God and move towards Pharaoh. So that's, there's this third way that God helps us when we battle unbelief by giving us whatever other help we need to strengthen our faith. So God's moving towards us with all the help that we need whenever we're struggling with doubt and unbelief. So let's bring this to a conclusion. What does this mean for us? It means that when we find ourselves weak in faith, when we find ourselves doubting, which we do, right, church? Don't ever stay there. Don't ever think, well, this is just unspiritual me. Here I am. This is just what I do. No, God's right there with everything that you need to have your faith be strengthened. So here's what we should do. First, prayerfully study the signs that God has given in His Word. Open up the Bible. Open up the Bible. Say, God, show me. Look at how God parted the Red Sea. How He brought down the walls of Jericho. Read how God healed Hezekiah, about how God miraculously gave Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream and what it meant. Read about Jesus 
miracles and about how he rose from the dead. Open up your Bible and read the evidences, the signs that God has given. One of the reasons he's put those in the Word is to strengthen you when you do struggle with doubt. So first, prayerfully study the signs that God has given. And then second, meditate on God's sovereignty and promises. Look at passages that show you God's sovereign authority over everything. Look at those passages and pray over God's promises in the scriptures, especially promises that have to do with your specific situation. Now, if you aren't sure where those passages are or where those promises are, call your home group leader. They know, don't you, home group leaders? We'll, we'll, we'll work together. Uh, email the elders. We'll help you. We want to help each other have scriptures to help each other fight the fight of faith. And then third, ask for God's help. Ask Him to strengthen your faith. Ask Him to give you what you need. He always will. Now, I, I just have to tell you a story about Billy Graham. Sorry, this is another U.S. illustration, but it's a good one. Billy Graham. You've heard of Billy Graham, I hope. Big evangelist, U.S. for many, many years. But early in his life as a Christian, he deeply struggled with unbelief about the Bible doubted that the Bible really was the, the Word of God. He was struggling with that very, very much. And this battle was going on for months, and it, it kind of reached a peak one night. He was at a Christian conference. He wasn't the speaker, but he was attending. And he knew that that night he had to leave the meeting and go back to his room and, and get this dealt with. So he left the meeting, went back to his room, opened up his Bible, and he studied the scriptures that gave him evidence, signs that gave him evidence to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Then he studied God's sovereignty and promises, who God is and what he promises about his Word. He, he read these scriptures and prayed over them, God, strengthen my faith, help me. And then he left his room, went out into the forest, this was at night, found a stump of a tree, knelt down by it, put his Bible on that stump, and asked, asked God, now help me, God. Help me. This unbelief is still here. And he says that the Holy Spirit started to strengthen his faith, changed his heart. So, so he was able to pray this. Here's what Billy Graham prayed. He said, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts and will believe this to be your inspired word. And then here's what he says happened next. When I got up from my knees that night, my eyes stung with tears. I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed. In my heart and mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. Church, that's what we need to do when you find yourself doubting, when you find yourself battling with unbelief. Don't just sit back. Don't pull back. Don't woe is me. God is right there with the Word of God, with all the help that you will need. He is there. He will help you move towards Him. So here's what I would encourage you to do when you struggle with unbelief. Prayerfully, Study the signs, the evidences God has given, which will give you the evidence you need to strengthen your faith. Meditate on God's sovereignty, on God's promises, and then ask for God's help. God, 
help me. Look at my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And when you do that, God will, he promises, he will always give you all the help that you need. What a glorious God, right? We are weak. We are stumbling. And he always will help us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He will always give you all the help you need to grow strong in your faith. Let's stand and pray. We worship you, glorious God, and the salvation you've given to us in Jesus Christ, your Son. That whenever we struggle with unbelief, doubt, you will always give us whatever we need to get strengthened in faith, to get reestablished in faith. I pray for those right now who are battling unbelief that you would meet them today, this afternoon. I pray for any here who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ, that as they see what a glorious, merciful God you are and what a beautiful Savior Jesus is, that right now they would turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.